two readings this morning. The first one can be found is uh, Psalm 133, and that can be found on page 625 of the Church Bibles and 974 in the Large Print Bibles. Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And the second reading is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 26, and that's on page 1153 of the Church Bibles and 1829 of the Large Print Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. This is the word of the Lord. Hi everyone, good morning. Well it's great to be here, not just uh, to be here to celebrate Toby's dedication, but also it was a particularly good all black performance last night, wasn't it? Um, did anyone watch the game? It was good, wasn't it? And Tom, my connection to the all blacks isn't spurious, I promise. I'll bring my passport in next week if you want. And um, the photos I have with the All Blacks, my friends from New Zealand. Um, so um, we've got a great morning, I hope, uh, ahead. What I want to do is just finish off this three-week series we've had on generosity, and I want to focus in on the psalm, really. And the question I want to ask this morning from that psalm is, uh, how can we release God's blessing? How can we release God's blessing. And I'm just going to grab a Bible myself uh, and um, let's go through this. 
What's interesting about uh, this psalm is that I think the basic deal is um, if we're to release God's blessing, uh, we do that through generosity. That's my basic thought this morning. We release God's blessing through generosity. And in this psalm, there sort of seems to be three ways that we can be generous and uh, release God's blessing. And the first thing is uh, this. We can release God's blessing when we're generous or by being generous in our attitudes to other people. We can release God's blessing in our attitudes um, to other people. And um, I don't know, um, I did watch the game last night. We had a manic weekend. If you're at our life stage with children who um, uh, are involved in all sorts of stuff, I've become a taxi driver. It sort of happened. And uh, I went to hundreds of things. I'm exaggerating. It was about 20 things for my children yesterday, ranging from football matches to school discos to stuff on here, Laser Quest, which was absolutely brilliant, all sorts of other stuff. So I was watching my boys play football uh, yesterday morning, and thankfully, or uh, typically, they play in different ends of a big ground. So I have to drop one off and then sort of half watch that game, run over to the other one. And I was watching my oldest son, first of all, and there was a guy on the side of the pitch, I don't know if you've had this experience, really shouting at um, the players on the pitch, these under-11s, you know, it's like, come on, do this, and you're hopeless, and that's pathetic, pull yourselves together. I'm thinking, look, they're under 11, for goodness sake. And uh, he was really bad, actually, with one of the players, who it turned out to be his son. He was really critical. And all the parents were like, gosh, we've got, we should say something to this guy because it's really, really not good. So what I'm saying this morning, I tell you that because what I want to suggest this morning is that we can release God's blessing by actually being generous to others and being unified with others. This is, uh, of course, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. It wasn't good or pleasant, to be honest, watching this guy um, on the touchline yesterday. So let's just hone in on this psalm a bit. You'll see uh, there it's a song of a sense uh, of David. The title to this psalm is a song of a sense. It's worth remembering lots of the psalms were songs. They were used um, in Israel's worship. They're known, uh, the book of Psalms, as Israel's hymn book. And basically, their song of a sense. What does that mean? Uh, there's a section of psalms with those titles. Basically, annually, uh, the Israelites or, uh, would go up um, and uh, journey up to Jerusalem and up to Mount Zion. So they were on this pilgrimage, an annual journey, and it would be uphill. So they sang these songs and uh, as they went up. So that's why it's a song of sense. It's of David. If you don't know who David was, he was a major king in the Old Testament and people think he probably wrote this psalm. And uh, actually what's interesting is that they think this psalm was written, this psalm about unity and releasing God's blessing after a period in Israel's history that uh, had been characterized by great conflict. There'd been lots of trouble, there'd been lots of aggro. It was actually in Israel's history in the years just before David was made king, if you want to look at this more, look at 2 Samuel 5. And uh, basically, uh, they've had this period of disunity, uh, of ugliness, and David's saying, look, we need to focus on unity. And uh, that is often what happens, isn't it? And uh, I don't know whether you're picking up all the discussions around Europe at the moment, and I don't know where you are politically. Should we just have a show of hands? I'm joking. Um, 
But basically, basically, you know, Europe was formed after a period of disunity, the Second World War. And uh, there was strong conviction that we had to be unified. And uh, interestingly now, it's sort of fragmenting. And wherever you are on the political spectrum, you'll have different views on, on what would be uh, good for the next steps. But that's what happened. That's what happened. Disunity brought a period of conviction of unity in Israel's history. And I don't know about you, but disunity actually is never fun. It's never fun. I've, I've never ha been in a disunified context and thought, gosh, this is fun. We're having lots of fun. It wasn't really fun standing next to this guy on the touchline yesterday. And uh, actually, it's not fun, is it, um, at home where you um, have disunity around the kitchen table or over meals or you have the little husband and wife niggles or the children go for one another. Maybe that's just my family. You're all looking shocked. Um, it's not fun at school, is it, for children? It's not fun outside the school gates. So you're waiting for your children to um, uh, finish their classes and people are sort of bickering a bit. And it's not fun at work, is it, uh, when actually people get niggly and they sidle up to you by the photocopier and start slagging other people off and they kind of want you to join in. Um, so disunity isn't fun. And uh, of course, it's not fun in the church either. It wasn't fun for the Israelites and it's not fun for churches either, is it, when they become disunified. So... According to David, then, it's good and pleasant when brothers and sisters live together in unity. And um, we can go, yeah, that's great, that's fantastic. But that's actually quite challenging. That ch there's a challenging call to hold our unity. And uh, actually, you know, it's not when they dwell together. It's actually when we dwell together in unity. So this uh, actually is important because it's good and pleasant. And it releases God's blessing. And that's why uh, David sort of penned these words. That's why the pilgrims going to Jerusalem sung this song, um, reminding themselves of that. Of course, I think in the church, we have to be careful how we define unity. And, uh, you know, you can uh, hear dysfunctional definitions of uh, unity. And they would be where you, people think unif uh, unity is uniformity where we all have to think exactly the same way. Uh, that's not what unity is. And I got that passage from Corinthians read this morning because it just shows that diversity is good. God gathers different sorts of people uh, with different opinions, with different gifts, and that's really, really good. So holding unity in the context of the church isn't about uh, uniformity, where we uh, all think the same. Uh, neither is it conformity, where we all actually act in exactly the same way, because that's actually really boring according to God. We need diverse communities where we can hold our differences, uh, but actually um, uh, come together and hold our unity. So what is unity for the people of God? Here you go. This is what I think it is. We're called first and foremost, aren't we, to unify around God himself. That's the first call around Jesus Christ, and we, we are called, actually, uh, to look to him. We are all in Christ when we come to faith, and, and we, we gather and unify, first and foremost, around God. Secondly, I suggest this morning, we hold our unity around God's purposes, and um, 
God has purposes, doesn't he, for each one of us? And, uh, you know, if you want to think about what they are, I'm a great believer in keeping things simple. Uh, not uh, simplistic, but simple. And uh, I think you could do better, or not much better, than look at the great commandment. What, what's God's purposes? Well, the great commandment calls us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So, first of all, Part of God's purposes is to love him and to unify around that. And then the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we, we, these are important purposes for us in the church. I don't, I don't know, I don't know uh, what you think God is calling you to or what you can unify around, but actually it's about loving him and actually going into the world, making disciples. That's really what he seems to think it's about. And then, of course, thirdly, we don't just unify around God. We don't just unify around his purposes. But we also unify around uh, our relationships uh, with one another as we unify around God and pursue his purposes. And that's really, really important because that's good and pleasant. And as we'll see, the releases, actually, God's blessing. So... We've tried to help us at St. Saviour's do that. We've got our vision. What's our vision? Which kind of summarizes the greatest commandment, the Great Commission. What is it? Only Tom knows. Um, <laughs> this is probably, we've got to do more here. Oh, my goodness. Love God, love people, make a difference. That's a summary of the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. And we've got these three priorities, haven't we, uh, as a church? And I want to ask you to unify around these. And I'm just going to pause just very briefly around these, these, these three things. We've, we, we have one priority to uh, actually grow our big family here, haven't we? Uh, we, we're not called to be inward-looking, to be a sort of uh, unified, inward-looking, uh, holy huddle. We're called, actually, aren't we, to actually be out there, to engage with people uh, outside the church, to speak of the things of God in ways they can understand, and to really serve people out there and talk about the goodness of God. We just sung those amazing songs, God is good, God is amazing, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we need to take that onto the streets. So uh, are you going to unify around that? And as a church, we've done all sorts of stuff this year to help us do that. We're also building the big family here. So um, we actually uh, are wanting to really develop not just evangelism, but also community here. And uh, gather together, do life together, encourage one another, champion one another, and do all those sorts of things here. And uh, again, it's been great to see what God has been doing uh, over this recent phase in building our community life together. And then also, uh, well, are you going uh, to uh, unify around that? Thank you. <laughs> and then thirdly, uh, we've also said we want to equip us to actually engage in, in real local mission, to do stuff, to get our hands dirty, not just to come here and be a Christian in here, but actually to equip us in our families, in our workplace, uh, where we're doing life with our friends, uh, to actually live the Jesus life, this extraordinary life. And again, we've done all sorts of stuff to, um, as a church um, to basically uh, help that. So this, therefore, is a call to unity, isn't it? These verses, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters live together in unity. And this is important to unify around God, 
to take our focus off ourselves, to unify around his purposes, and actually to champion one another in our community here to which he's called us as we do that. So that's the first thing. Unity actually um, releases God's blessing. And here's the thing. As I was praying for this, I just felt God asked me to say this, which is, and when we don't hold our unity in this way, it actually really grieves his heart. That's not a guilt trip. That's not a heavy thing. But it actually grieves God when we don't do that. Secondly, if we are to release God's blessing, we're to be generous in how we use our gifts and encourage and champion uh, others to use theirs. I'll unpack this a bit, but this is verse 2. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. Now, I... uh, as part of my other weekly taxi duties, I do take uh, my, one of my boys to football training uh, on a Thursday night. It's often freezing cold, and uh, I just stand there shivering. Uh, he runs around, has a great time. He has a brilliant coach. He has a brilliant, brilliant football coach who is just the ideal coach for any, any team, actually. He knows them all by name. He really wants them to use their gifts. He really, really encourages them. He quite challenges them as well at the end. says that you've got to think about that, think about that. After sessions, after matches as well, he sends an email out saying, naming them all by name, saying what they've done well, and uh, all that sort of stuff. And uh, this guy, you see, wants the team to use their gifts uh, and to grow. And um, this is important that we use our gifts and grow. How on earth do we get that from verse 2? Well, there's a reference there, isn't there, to Aaron. I don't know if you know who Aaron was, but Aaron, if you don't, he was Moses' uh, older brother. Uh, Read Exodus, uh, the early chapters, you'll meet him. Uh, He was also a prophet uh, of God. And um, when Moses was first called by God, you know, he, he, by the burning bush, he sort of said, look, God, I don't, you asked me to do all this stuff. I feel really inadequate and I can't really speak. And God said, okay, look, Aaron can speak for you. And so when Moses first confronted the Egyptian king about the Israelites, uh, Aaron served as his brother's spokesman. And uh, also significantly, Part of the law, you'll remember Moses received the law uh, on Mount Sinai. Uh, Part of the law, the Torah that Moses received from God at Sinai, actually granted Aaron the priesthood for himself and his uh, male descendants. And he became actually the first high priest of the Israelites. So this is a really uh, significant person. And this reference here in verse 2 is a significant time uh, in Aaron's life and the people's uh, history, the Israelites, because it's kind of talking to his ordinate, referring to his ordination um, as this high priest. And you can see that uh, with this anointing of oil mixed with spices. So actually verse 2 is a reference to God setting someone apart for a very specific ministry. He's given them specific gifts. He's called them to do specific things. And uh, he's going to serve God uh, in that way. So actually uh, what I'm suggesting is if we're to release God's blessing, we also need to uh, move in the gifts that God has given us. Because at this time, God had uh, just raised a few people to do some things. But now, we're all gifted. We're all made in his image. We have 
uh, extraordinary things that God wants us to do, extraordinary life and blessing uh, that, other, that God wants to bring through us to other people. Uh, and when we move in this way, we find life. So if we are to see God release his blessing, we need to move in our gifts. And we're blessed, other people are blessed through us. And, and that's the nature of how God seems to set this up. So do you know what your gifts are? Are you moving in your gifts? Uh, are you really, really uh, going for it? Are you actually going for it at this time in your life with God? As a church, I hope you've noticed this, but as well as having a real commitment to people who are outside the church in this country of ours that uh, actually has turned its back on God, uh, in this church of ours, this Anglican church of ours, which according to the church statistics is chronically dying rapidly, uh, we need to not just commit to evangelism, we need to commit to actually doing something about it ourselves and actually exercising our gifts to build um, the kingdom. We've done a lot about that. I was thinking about that guy on the touchline, the critical guy who was going, you're not this, you're not that, you're hopeless, run, 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 get up, referee, you're pathetic, that's the wrong list. I was thinking about him and I was thinking, it's interesting, he's someone who's not using his gifts. He's actually sitting on the sidelines while other people are on the pitch playing the game and he's just criticizing them. And I think there's a number of things uh, that we can take from that. First of all, in the Christian life, uh, it's very, very easy to just be on the side of the pitch and just criticize other people. You're, they're not doing that, they're not doing that, they're not doing that, and who do they think they are, and all that sort of stuff. And uh, we've got to watch that ourselves. So I guess I'm asking you, are you on the pitch or are you watching? Are you on the pitch playing trying to build God's kingdom, using your gifts, or are you on the side? And if you're on the side, how are you on the side? Are you criticizing? And I, again, I'm not, I'm not saying this this morning because there's lots of stuff going on at St. Saviour's and we're really unhappy and I better speak about it. Just saying this because this is important to remind ourselves about this from time to time. Are you um, playing or are you, on the, um, are you in the stands? The other thing, uh, one of the other dads came over to me and said, it's actually really quite sad, this guy, because he's not just on the pitch, but actually he's trying to live his life through other people, through his son. He's trying to actually, all his own inadequacies, he's putting it onto his son. And, you know, he's trying to live through this poor boy. And uh, I thought about that, and uh, we can do that ourselves. We can actually want to, the church to be this, to be that, to sort of da 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 but actually, we're not actually doing anything about it ourselves. So are you on the pitch? Do you know what your gifts are? Are you actually building the kingdom? And I said to our nine o'clock crew this morning, who are absolutely wonderful, I said to them, you know, this call to use your gifts doesn't end when you have children uh, and you get busy. It doesn't end um, uh, when you're a taxi driver and you spend your life driving people around. It doesn't end when you get really busy at work. It doesn't end uh, when your children leave home. It doesn't end um, actually when you retire. It doesn't end when you actually feel physically you know, quite limited. Actually, God wants us to use our gifts in ways that are appropriate for our life stage and our capacity uh, till the day we die. And I heard someone say last week, you know, you're not done in the Christian life till you're dead. You're not done till you're dead. And yet often we take ourselves off the pitch long before. 
And so I want to just ask you and challenge you this morning. Use your gifts, some of which will be worked out in the context of St. Saviour's when we gather. Most of which will be out there when you're living your life, turning up at work, running your family, whatever. Um, Use your gifts. And uh, if you're thinking, I don't really know, I don't really know what my gifts are, we've got all sorts of resources we can help you with. And we've even made a list of stuff that if you're interested in helping with us centrally, there's a list in your service sheets this morning of stuff you could look at if you wanted to, for some ideas uh, that would help us, uh, our team here, our family here. So it's important that we use our gifts because actually it releases God's blessing. It releases God's blessing. That's why it's really, really important. Because when we do whatever he's calling us to, invariably other people will be blessed around us. That's why it's really important. And here's the thing. If we don't use our gifts, guess what? It grieves God. That's not a guilt trip. That's not an awkward silence. It's just true. It grieves God because you'll miss out and he's got a lot for you, which if you don't actually go for, you'll miss out on. Thirdly, I want to suggest if we want to release God's blessing, then we need to be people who just let God be God. We need to be people who let God be God That means uh, we need to be people who are open to the supernatural spirit of God. That's what I mean by that. And I want to just uh, unpack this. Now, um, so yesterday morning, I'm at the football pitch feeling absolutely knackered. having You know when you want to lie in and you don't get one? You know, there's a few smiles. Anyway, so I'm standing there. This guy's mouthing off. I then have to run about two miles to get to my other son's pitch. Um, right over the other side, um, trying not to look too stupid, sort of panting past various people. Uh, and then I see my youngest son, he's in the under fives, or, or uh, he's in the five-year-old team. He's actually five, so he can't be on the... That's probably why he played so well. He's in the wrong team. <laughs> um, anyway, he scored three goals. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, so I'm with them. I'm watching the second half. Go, Fred. Go, go, go. And every 10 minutes, the coach said, right, stop, boys, go and get a drink. Every 10 minutes, it, was like, it felt like every five minutes, came over, Dad, can I have my water bottle? Yeah, have a drink, go back on, bit of exercise. Right, come back every five minutes, drink, drink. I said to his coach, God, you give them a lot of water to drink. And he said, it's really important because they've got to be hydrated. They've got to be hydrated. And uh, it, it, it energizes them. And uh, actually, if, if they get dehydrated, actually what happens is they just play less well, and then they just shrivel as well in time. You're dead within three days if you don't drink. Is that right? I think it's right, isn't it? So drinking's good, isn't it? Um, Why am I talking about that? Because a picture of the Spirit of God in the Bible, there are many, is water. And there's this water theme going on in uh, verse 3. Let me unpack this. Now, verse 3 says this. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. So I want to suggest we need to let God flow. And uh, 
David doesn't just paint a picture of Aaron at his ordination. He also paints a picture around Mount Hermon. I don't know whether you've ever been to Israel, but this mountain is the highest point in all Israel, standing 9,230 feet above sea level. And actually, because of its height, it's snow-capped for most of the year, believe it or not. And uh, also, it basically collects an enormous amount of dew through the night. It's cold up there, so there's snow, there's dew. And uh, in the early morning, it's just snow-capped and covered with dew. And then, of course, the sun rises. Guess what happens? You've got it. The sun rises through mid-morning, midday. When the sun strikes the mountain, actually, the dew starts to melt, And basically, the snow starts to melt, and then this precious water comes off the mountain. And what it does is it brings life to the arid parts further down the mountain. They depend on this water coming down. So, this actually is a picture of what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, often uh, portrayed as water in the Bible, portrayed as other things, but the, the The Spirit of God brings life. And this is why, if we're to release God's blessing, we need to be people of the Spirit who actually drink deeply of the Spirit, this living water that Jesus talks about. And uh, actually, the Spirit of God is actually implicit in all of this short psalm, actually. Um, You know, the oil is another picture of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the oil running down Aaron over his beard. So it's a picture of the Spirit, the blessing of God. And you see, the Spirit is given, poured out to bless us and to um, empower us. So what I'm suggesting is not just unity releases the blessing of God, not just using our gifts, but also letting God be God and drinking deeply of God does that. Uh, because when we walk closely with the Spirit uh, and we're led by the Holy Spirit, we're, we actually uh, f- flourish and grow. And if we don't, we start to dehydrate. I did nearly completely dehydrate. I actually ended up in, a, I'll tell you the story. Uh, it was quite significant for me. About 20 years ago, I was in Africa. I, I got dehydrated. I just keeled over in the street. was taken to a hospital uh, in Kisumu in Kenya, which means poison, and it was a bit like that, the hospital. Um, But, you know, I remember just, they put a drip in my arm, and uh, I remember just literally feeling, oh, I feel like I'm coming back to life, and I could feel, oh, yeah. Most of us, many of us, are very dehydrated spiritually, and we don't even know, we don't even know it. We've got used to just living on little bits, when in fact, God wants to pour this water off Mount Hermon, so to speak, and flourish us and fill us. God wants to pour out the oil of his spirit all over our head, down our beards if we've got one. I can't grow a beard, that's a bit depressing. And, and then all the way down. So um, this is really, really important. So that's kind of what I wanted to say this morning. Let's be unified. Let's use our gifts. And let's be people of the spirit. And next week... Funnily enough, by a curious quirk of planning, we're starting a new series on the Holy Spirit, on how we can use the gifts of the Spirit and how we can actually uh, encounter God and actually minister God's Spirit to other people. So that's kind of why we're doing that. So um, that's the third thing uh, I want to say. And I, I do want to say, you know, I don't know how many sermons you've heard in your life, 
Um, you know, it may be this is the first one. I'm sorry about that. There are lots of better people who, who, who can do sermons. I'm sorry about that. It could be this is your 450th one. And looking around the room, that might be the case. God bless you. But actually, don't miss the significance of this. Because when we aren't people of the Spirit, guess what? We grieve God. It's not a heavy thing. It's not a condemning thing. But we grieve God. Because he wants to bless us and bring us into life and life to the full. So please don't overlook the significance of these verses or think, oh, that was a not a bad sermon, or go back, oh, Mike seemed to be on reasonable form this morning, then forget about it. I mean, I, I can't remember what I said even five minutes afterwards, so you know what I mean, but you know what I mean? This is actually very significant, and uh, actually it says it's significant at the end of verse three, because where we're unified, where we go for our gifts, and where we let God be God and drink deeply and let him lead us, lead others to him, the Lord bestows his blessing, okay? Even life evermore. So this is a life and death issue. So I've got a question for you as we finish then. Are you going to pick up the ball, get on the pitch, and build unity? Are you going to jump on the pitch, exercise your gifts, and release the blessing of God? And are you actually, as you do that, do all of that, not in striving and effort and straining, but actually in joy and in the power of the Holy Spirit? That's what God would love me to do and what God would love all of us to do. Why don't we stand together?